Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the A10 Talk podcast. Sam Basil tonight, joined by Daniel Frank and Kaylee Godek. As as you know, my two co-hosts will know. Uh, going into this podcast, you know, I feel like it was a good week to start off for A10 basketball in general on the men's and women's side. But tonight, especially with some of the teams that we'll be talking about, uh, Thursday of of week one of the college basketball season was was just full of L's on both the men's and women's side, uh, especially you know in New England and in the DMV. So let's 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 break down some of these games that we were watching. I know I, I was watching UMass women's uh, against Tennessee, so let's start off with that one. So Kaylee. Um, 74-65 loss to number five Tennessee in Knoxville. I feel like they started off strong. They they had they were you know going a little bit neck and neck. It was a game of runs. Um, and then like you said in the, in the, you know going into this podcast, their shots just started to not fall. So for you, what happened tonight? The key thing that we needed to do from what I heard them saying on the broadcast was UMass needed to box out. UMass is a smaller built team. Our tallest player being Sam Breen, who played tonight, and McKenna White and Angela Gallus-Landi. With them coming in just over six foot, we don't have real height like to box these players out that are six five, six six playing. And with them being able to get all these offensive rebounds, even though we were out-rebounding them on offense, we just couldn't get the shots to fall, as I said earlier. But with you, like you need Sam Breen to get going, and when she gets going, that's when you're scoring the most. Sam Breen only had about six points in the second half, I think. Don't take that word for word because I am not positive. But with Sam Breen only scoring 18 points on the game, but still registering a double double of 12 rebounds, that's still really good. But the fact that Sam couldn't like get hot and couldn't get those points that we needed. It just wasn't our night. And I think if we had her going and Sydney going and Bernaya and Destiny all like firing at full cylinder, we could have had this game. We could have easily have beaten them. We had so many good shots, so many good looks. It just weren't falling. Yeah. So and- eight for 30 from three point range for UMass and they allowed Tennessee to score 40 points in the paint. I mean, you you pretty much summed it up what what killed them there. But again, yes, they are the reigning A10 women's champions, but this was against the fifth best team in the country in probably the one of the hardest places to play in women's college basketball, the Summit. They played Rocky Top 14 times tonight. I know. I was, I, you know, I did notice that as well. I was watching the game. I was like, wow, I, I, I feel like I just keep on hearing Rocky Top. And you know what? Look, it's a good time to be a Tennessee sports fan, right? Men's basketball, <laughs> women's basketball, football. They're, they're, they're challenging for a national championship. So, you know, I think we're all going to be hearing a lot more Rocky Top. But, you know, if you could tune that out for a little bit, Kaylee, what could you draw from this game? Uh, you know, they don't, they lost by single digits against one of the best teams in the country. Like that's, it's, there's still something to draw. And so what, what would you draw from this game as a positive? I would say like the fact that we kept Tennessee to 70 points and like think within single digits is impressive. Going into this game, I heard people saying like that aren't UMass fans and think poorly of the women's program saying that, oh, they're going to lose by double digits, they're not going to have a chance. 
And I'm just looking at him like, no, they're going to, they have a chance. They could upset. And it would have been awesome if they did. And the fact that it kept, they kept it within single digits was awesome. I couldn't say anything other than that. It basically felt like they were playing against the men's team tonight because men's team didn't do as well. And I think the women's actually ended up scoring more points than men's team. So kudos to the women's team for that. Um, <laughs> that show, that goes to show you that, I mean, granted, our men's team is still in a building phase. Like it goes to show you that Tori Verde is here to stay and wants to rebuild this program to the full potential it can be. And it's not even halfway there yet. And so these next couple games, um, how should how should UMass fans be feeling? You know, against on, on Monday they've got Maine at home on fr- that that following Friday they've got Harvard, and then on Tuesday they've got UMass Lowell. Those last two games are away. What are, what is the most important thing for UMass to you know keep in mind going into those three games before they go to their first uh, MTE of the year, the the FIU Classic? I would say like our players can't get like hooked up over these like this loss. This is still a good game. Like I can't say anything other than they did their best. They gave their all. Go UMass for them. Um, UMaine shouldn't be a bad. That shouldn't be a bad matchup. That one should be a good game. But men men and women are going to be heavily favored in that one. Same with the one against Harvard and UMass Lowell in our past meetings. I know those have been lopsided games in our favor. I'm not going to go that far and say we're going to win all three of those games, but granted, we just are coming off a loss. I do expect Tori Verde to like get in their heads a little bit over the weekend saying, Hey, we need to get this, this, and this down to hopefully like get everything back to the way we, he runs it and hopefully make sure they can make their three throws, threes and rebound like defensively and offensively. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And, you know, so, yeah, I think, I think a good, a good slate for, for UMass to, you know, kind of, kind of get back into shape there, you know, not really that they need to get back into, you know, that much different of a shape than they are now, but, you know, always, always want to bounce back with some wins. And like you said, UMass scored, UMass women scored 65 points tonight, and that's exactly 10 more points than the men scored at home against Towson in a 67 55 loss. Um, Noah Fernandes in their opening game had 11 points. Um, but tonight he was pretty much shut down by Towson. He was one for six from the field, uh, three points. The leading scorers for, for UMass tonight were Isaac Conte and, uh, and, and, and Matt Cross with 13 points apiece. My boy, no said- transfer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I will have to say it was kind of a surprise. I was really surprised that. TJ Weeks did not get much playing time. Um, only 12 minutes on the night. Lowest playing time for any of the Minutemen. Um, no points on the night either. I just hope there's no injuries to that could have happened. Again, I was more focused on the women's game because number five in the nation, come on, like, who, when's the Minutemen ever going to play another team like that? Yeah, not seeing a lot of playing time out of Weeks is a little concerning. Um, think there could have been a few different lineup changes. I mean, granted, yeah, I wasn't expecting Matt Cross to start tonight because he's just coming back from a toe injury. But I will say probably seeing Cross starting next week is a good possibility. Um, 
Jafar Gapari, I know, didn't play tonight. He played for exactly one minute on Monday and then went out to the athletic trainer and got injured, um, sat out practice for a few days to recover and was available to play but did not play tonight. Mm. I mean, if we maybe had, like, different lineups in, I think we could have had this game. This game going in, when I looked before the game started, UMass was projected to win this game. And UMass lost by 12 points. Again, the women's team could have easily like stayed in with this Towson team, but when Towson, when they had one player on Towson score 27 of the 67 points, I think we would have had a different ball game if that player was not in. Yeah, no, that's a lot better. That's a good point. I mean, and again, UMass, you know, the men's team. They've now got a. This was the only Thursday night game on the men's side that we that we were seeing in in the A ten slate, and coming off this loss, they've got an entire week now to prepare for the Myrtle Beach Invitational. And like you said, you know, a big issue for them tonight probably was their rotation. You know, guys were coming in a little bit hurt. You know, you you didn't really know what kind of team that that UMass was going to be putting out. So for you, I mean, in these in this this next week, um, <clears throat> is that going to be is that going to be a major focus? For Frank Martin and company, I mean, is is are, are you, do do you expect them to kind of you know start experimenting with some of the rotations that they've got, maybe some different starting lineups that we might see, and if so, what kind of starting lineup do you think UMass should go for against Colorado in the opening round of this MTE that they're playing? So I would say, um, as lo- I do know, Safara Gapari just came in the like on November first from New Zealand because of having visa issues. So him probably getting some more practice time, getting more experience, getting into this lineup, I think would be better to see. Um, I would say if I had to do a projected starting lineup for um, next Thursday, I would, I personally would hope to see Noah Fernandes, TJ Weeks, Isaac Conte, Matt Cross, and DeAndre Dominguez. Those three, those five players right there, I could totally see like working together on the court, the chemistry being really good there, and there being enough defense that you're like doing well, and you have like enough height that you can easily box out and rebound if you have like if you need that to score. Yeah, no, that's a great point. So, I mean, it'll be really interesting to see. I mean, hopefully, hopefully they'll take the weekend. Hopefully, you know, the the UMass. Faithful will 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 take a week to rest and 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 I would love to see a big a big turnout of UMass fans down there. I mean, I've been to a couple of MTEs, you know, mainly in New England. Like I saw UMass one time play at the uh, the Mohegan Sun uh, mm-hmm. college basketball tip off that they always do every year. Um, and I mean the U, obviously it's in Connecticut, so it's close by. But I mean the UMass crowd there was crazy and so you know hopefully hopefully they travel well but let's move on to some of the other uh games that we saw you know kind of in the thursday night slate daniel two games that i know you were watching one that you were watching in person and then one that you're that you kind of caught the end of at home first one pretty exciting looks like by the scores next one i know you were you were coming into this a little <laughs> a little mopey here but first let's talk about george washington women's team taking down maryland eastern shore 65 to 50 um what did you like out of this out of, out of the Colonials here tonight? 
Yeah, you know, first of all, it, it was just nice seeing GW hitting, the, hitting some shots, which sounds goofy and sounds like terrible analysis. But from a team that was like bottom 20 in the nation last year in points per game and offensive efficiency and all those statistics, to put up 65 points is a monumental accomplishment for this team. Um, and I mean, Faith Blessing coming in with 11 points off the bench. Mia, um, I cannot say her last name for the life of me. She's a freshman. She hit her first three threes. Um, she attempted, I mean, just having, I can't remember the last time a true freshman started for GW. Um, and I had a lot of fun at the ball game. I mean, got a shout out to, to our boy, David Corrin, friend of the show. Um, been here many times. And I would be remiss if before I, I move on from GW, um, he made me promise tonight, because I actually stood with him in the second half in the student section. First time I'd ever actually been in the GW student section, if you could believe it. Um, <laughs> but he made me promise to talk about James Bishop tonight. Um, and James Bishop performance on Monday night in the GW men's opener against Virginia State. Yeah, let's talk about it. Nine assists. Nine assists which we've had a lot of complaints about James Bishop, myself included. I've been loud and, you know, opinionated about my feelings on James Bishop at times in the last year um, about how he's a scorer. He kind of plays a little fast and loose and um, not doesn't look to distribute the ball super well. But Monday night, nine assists for James Bishop and GW's win. No, granted, it's against Virginia State. So you can kind of take the whole box score with a grain of salt. I mean, they won 85-58 over a D2 school. But, I mean, 21 points, 9 assists, 4 rebounds for James Bishop. You know, you get that kind of production, and GW is going to be in a good spot with the returning top two score in the conference. Yeah, that's actually something – and actually, I, I, I want to bring up them facing uh, – Virginia State, yeah, in in one second, but uh, that's something I think you, when you look at it at all levels of basketball, um, that is so important, right? You've got this guy who is you know pretty much the complete package, but you know, you know, first couple seasons maybe people, you know, I hate to throw the term around, but like call him a ball hog a little bit, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, definitely not a team player looking to be a little flashy, you know, at mid major, at the mid major level. Sometimes it's because they want to put on a show and then go somewhere else, you know, find greener pastures in the transfer portal. Um, but now we're seeing with Bishop, you know, he's, he's continuing to develop. He's continuing to be a team player. And a lot of times, again, at all levels of basketball, Sometimes that is the, the the switch that a team flips to go from a solid team to a really put together team that can make a really great run. And I know it's tough, you know, with George Washington being, you know, again in, in another transitionary period with this new coach. But do you think right now this is the switch that George Washington needed to flip to to get going for and have a really good season this year? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I think. Between him and, and Max Edwards, I think they're two really interesting pieces. Um, Max Edwards being, I believe, is a transfer. Um, I'm blanking off the top of my head. But with the whole, I mean, GW fans have talked a little bit about this. Um, Brian, the whole Brayon Freeman drama. And I think I mentioned this before on this podcast. Yeah. Brayon Freeman had like a goose egg on Monday night in his, in his first game with Rhode Island. And then after the game, was retweeting GW fans that were like talking smack at him. Um, and this whole thing. And then 
one and the the other thing that kind of was tied into Rhode Island this week is Rhode Island had to lose an assistant coach um, as a result of the fallout from the whole Louisville thing um, with that involved, you know, the Rick Pitino, Chris Mack, the, the whatever the acronym for that whole investigation thing was. Um, but that Rhode Island recently had to lose a coach because of the Patino like violations. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, one of the assistants, I think, was an assistant under Patino at the time when Correct. all of that happened. Yeah. Wow. It's weird that they, it would take them that long to. And he was Brian Freeman's. Yeah, he was Brian Freeman's high school coach. <laughs> so <laughs> that's your that's your Brian Freeman connection. So the whole thing. Wow. And so, so to cycle this all back to GW, that's the type of thing that I think has lit a little bit of a spark in that locker room. Where they, Max Edwards has been going back and forth with Brian Freeman, and it's got some energy to this team in a way that I've not seen in a while from GW. It's just really interesting, and and obviously Rhode Island. I mean, they they did not look good in their first game, um, yeah. and there's there's some interesting things happening right now. The Atlantic Ten is a fascinating, ever changing landscape. So, I mean, obviously, this is going to keep. Well, you know, I don't know, but something like this, you know, bruise and bruise and bruise. And the only way that things like this can get settled usually is, is on the court, right? I mean, that's, that'll, that, that's when things like this come to a head. Um, and GW and Rody are not playing each other until February 22nd in Kingston. So that's really late in the, in the, in the it conference is. play schedule. I can tell um, you there are many GW folks that are buying Amtrak tickets for that game. <laughs> <laughs> really? Wow. Well, That's, just mentioning, yeah, just yeah. mentioning in on that Rhode Island fact, that that Quinnipiac-Rhode Island game, I believe I heard it was a bye game for Rhode Island. So they basically lost and lost money for that, too, with that whole game. The epitome of brutality. Mm. As Strikes John Rothstein will say. Strikes again. That's tough. And speaking of bye games... For me, okay, if I could, if I could vent a little bit, buy games to me are an interesting concept, right? Because I feel yeah. like in the Atlantic 10, especially in the Atlantic 10, or, you know, as somebody who watches a little bit of Patriot League, FCS football, it's something that's talked about a lot because either I feel like the Atlantic 10 is in a weird position, right? Because the Atlantic 10 is in a it's good right conference in the middle of the road. where teams in this conference can buy games. But then they can also sell themselves to some other, you know, power five opponents. And, you know, sometimes that works out in the power five opponents' favor. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, So it's something that we're really familiar with. Am I opposed to the idea of buy games? Not really. I think they're fine. Do I like it when teams dip out of Division one? Absolutely not. So this game against Virginia State, and, you know, this is is not really – I honestly really can't say this is on GW – but uh, we've been seeing in, you know, just college basketball around the country right now, a lot of D1 teams, high quality D1 teams playing D2 teams uh, and, and, and potentially even lower. And I, 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 I got so mad that I, I looked it up because I feel like the number is always changing. But last time I checked, there are three, if you're counting teams that are in transition from, from D2 to D1 or D3 to D1, there are 358. Division one college basketball teams on both the men's side and the women's side. Why is it with that many teams and even number of teams at that many as well, 
that you're you're still allowed to schedule a division two opponent or lower like this early in the season and blow them out by you know potentially a hundred points like Bryant University. No shade to Bryant University, but like oh that box score was absurd. Yeah, and again, I feel like with schools like Bryant or GW, the reason why they're probably scheduling those games is probably because a higher level opponent is also doing that, and they're not giving them the opportunity to play them, right? Yeah. For me, what does it, beating a D2 team by 120 points say about your program? Yeah. I mean, no, what, what do you think? Like, what, do you, what, does that, what does that say? <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. Like, it, what, like, and that's what, like, what the coach was kind of saying post-game was just like, uh, Brian, like, we're going to play one way. We're not going to, like, let off the gas pedal. Like, this isn't, like, you know, some high school thing. Everyone gets a trophy. Like, we're going to compete till the horn goes but like why are you scheduling that game like what how is your team getting better like how are you how are you as a team getting better and yeah. like and there's been some weird scheduling too like albany you albany played at like d3 immaculata this week <laughs> at like three o'clock in the like, like why like what i don't even like i don't even know if that was a buy game like i don't understand what's the point of these games well, I can just tell you too. Um, so I go to Western New England University. That's located here in Springfield, Massachusetts. I'm a manager for the men's basketball team. Later on in the season, I want to say it's November 28th. We go and play Sacred Heart at Sacred Heart. And I'm just like, why are we playing a D1 team when like they have like the ability to recruit these players and like have scholarship players? And we're going to be, it's going to be 120 to, 80 if we're lucky. We just had a good showing last night. But so. let me ask you this, though. As as someone who's on the D2 level, are your guys fired up? D3. Are, we're D3. Question of England's D3. D3. So as it, as are the D3 guys, though, are they fired up about that game? Like, what is the mindset about that game? So I don't even know if they know about that game or not. I haven't even asked the guys about it yet. I'm I We were just transitioning from a game last night against our um, big rival, Springfield College. Cross town, so nice home of the they, basketball hall of fame. Yep, yeah, um, they were really just like hyped up over that game and the mouth smack that I heard on the bus there and back was hilarious. But honestly, beating like them by like over twenty points, eighty nine fifty five final score. Oh hell yeah! That's where that's what's impressing me right now, and I could say they they can compete like. Five games aren't always like beneficial. They can hurt you in the long run too. And and we saw that last night. If if I can just crap all over my Louisville Cardinals for a minute, <laughs> Louisville. Well, not even just losing to Bellarmine because Bellarmine, as we know, is a friend of this show. We love Bellarmine. We we think <laughs> Bellarmine should be in the Atlantic Ten. But um, Louisville lost in an exhibition game to Lenore Ryan. I couldn't even pronounce their name. You know, but like again, like just because you have a bye game. Doesn't mean you're gonna win, and it's yeah. and, and when you lose, it's 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 horrible. Um, I actually watched a bit of that game, and I just I it got so ugly. I turned it off. Yeah, and that cross made a good decision to come to UMass. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I feel like we can we can keep going on about it, but it's like I I you, you guys both like completely like agree with with what I was going for, really like. It doesn't help your program improve. It's it's a moot point on the resume, right? Like when I'm looking at, you know, say say Bryant gets to the bubble, um, and I look 
and I and I'm looking at them, that game doesn't mean anything to me if I'm on the on the committee. So I just I just feel like I don't know I don't know what to do about it because you know I'm I'm just a dude sitting in Queens with with, <laughs> with a with a podcast about mid major basketball. But I mean, if I was somebody in the NCAA, I just feel like it would it would be beneficial for everybody. You know, except maybe the schools who are who are cashing those checks, um, to just to just not let that happen anymore. But and I, I have one final thought on this too. Yeah, in an age where everyone lives and dies on Ken Palm, and 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 game betting odds are made based on Ken Palm, basically in the early stages of the season, stats don't even count for these non D one games. Like GW, if you look at their Ken Palm right now, is zero and zero. None of their players have stats. None of the like none of it counted basically from Monday. So like yeah. in an age where everyone lives and dies by Ken Palm, it's useless. You're absolutely right. And, you know, talking about something like the net, that's a quad Seven. question mark <laughs> loss. You know yeah. what I mean? It's a, it's a quad. <laughs> it's just, it's just rough. Speaking of odds on Sunday, when we were recording our, our, our preseason, you know, pr- our final preseason podcast, I asked you, Daniel, if you were comfortable taking uh, 13 and a half points uh, on Mason against Auburn. And you were a little hesitant. You, you seemed a little confident. And you said, but you said, look, I'm not a betting person. I, I, I can't say for sure what I would go to. And I feel like maybe that was a bit of the smart move because a 70 to 52 loss. They did obviously did not cover the spread nope. against number 15 Auburn. Um, but they might have had they not taken the first 15 minutes of the game off. <laughs> <laughs> so Ronald Polite, the only scorer in double digits for Mason on Monday. Who had that on your bingo card? This was this was a game where it was like, all right, look, they can go in, put up a competition. They don't have to win. But if they can cover, if they could, you know, put up a fight, then that would be a really impressive game for Kim English and the squad. Obviously, this wasn't what went wrong. What went right? <laughs> I mean, I Monday night was rough as a Mason fan. I was at the women's basketball game against Maryland, which was really awesome to have Brenda Fries in Maryland come into Eagle Bank Arena. Um, and because Mason was playing on Central Time Zone for the men, they were an hour behind. So I was kind of checking as Mason women were down like 30 in front of me. I was checking the box score for the men. And um, saw the, like, first half start out with, like, Mason got down. Like, in the first 10 minutes of the game, Mason was outscored 22-7. to And I was like, ah, fun. This is going great. I think I sent a message to the A10 Talk chat. I was just like, tonight sucks. <laughs> like, so much for basketball being back. <laughs> like, and then Mason turned it on and was down by, like, 7 or something at the half. And then decided, eh, oh, well. That's it. That's game. And I mean, to a degree, and I and I gotta give PD Buckets all the credit on this take because dude knows his stuff. I'm glad Mason got this result on opening night because last year's start was a facade. Mason started off red hot last season and made everyone think, holy crap, this team is good. This team might like win the A ten or like be top four. And it was all a facade. Mason's mm-hmm. flaws were not exposed until Honestly, January, you know, when Josh Oduro went down with an injury and it was like, oh, this team is completely vulnerable without Josh Oduro. Um, and frankly, Fordham was one of the teams that exposed Mason the most. Yeah. Um, that was a great game, by the way. 
Oh, all the ga- both the games between Mason yeah. and Fordham were great. Well, not if you're a Mason fan, but <laughs> um, but no, I mean, and so to start off this year with being like, look, we hyped Mason's size, we hyped this and that about Mason, their athleticism, their this, their that, and yeah, they, it was a tough, tough environment. They're playing on the road, a top fifteen school, they're an SEC school, and admittedly too, a school that is dying for basketball because their football team is god awful right now. I have friends who go to Auburn, and they're they're just so excited for basketball. Um. Mason I mean, they were a team that was number one in the country at one point last season. So, yeah. you know. I mean, Mason needed to get punched in the mouth like that. I think it will do them some good. We're going to learn a lot about them tomorrow. And we can talk about the fabulous slate of men's games tomorrow because there's four ranked opponents that um, A-10 teams are playing. But Mason playing Longwood, I don't want to say, like, it sounds stupid to say it's a must win because obviously you should beat Longwood. But, like, Mason needs to respond in a way that is convincing and says, look, Auburn was a class better than us, but we're still a class better than, like, you know, these little low majors that we should be beating handily, especially at home. So it'll be interesting to see what the crowd looks like, too, for Mason, because we're getting hit with a tropical storm tomorrow. So that'll be fun. Oh. Um, we're getting the remnants of the hurricane that came through Florida. So I'm a zookeeper, so I'm working through my first tropical storm tomorrow. So that'll be fun. <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh, I would. I just want to say I'm looking at the box score from the game on Monday against Mason and Auburn. I noticed that Josh Adoro only played 22 minutes, had a total of eight points, four rebounds. And I'm going to assume he was dealing with foul trouble throughout the entire game because I see four yep. fouls in that. Um, this thing, he gets in foul trouble in big games. It could be worse. It could be a point where it's, he has three fouls in the first half. Yeah. Alone, and you don't see him until midway through the second half, and he picks up that fourth one when you need him the most, and he's out for basically the rest of the game because he plays too aggressively, or the game's just too tight to risk having him foul out. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, that's something that I think Fordham struggled with in their first game, too. I mean, obviously, they came out with the win and they played well against Dartmouth, but down the stretch, I mean, you know, Rostick Nowitzki. Got into late foul trouble. He pretty much fouled out the entire for the for the last like five minutes of the game. And while you know they put in the work to get up really early on, uh, Dartmouth started you know making it close, making it a little bit a little bit little sweaty. So with a team like Mason uh, that is that is so focused on their big man, uh, Kelly, you were completely right. I mean, foul trouble is like the name of the game, and you know if you're an opponent playing Mason, it's like. Let's let's get Oduro to foul out. So hopefully, hopefully that'll be something that they they can adjust to uh, for the rest of the rest of the season and this weekend. All right. So before we get into our, our 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 weekend picks of games to watch, there's one more game on the opening night that we that I think you know is, is really important to talk about. Just because I mean, not really because it has any big effect on the season, but just because of how crazy it finished. I didn't get a chance to watch it because I was at the Fordham game. But Loyola Chicago in their season opener. Anyone who watched it, what ha- what happened there? Neck and neck throughout most of the game. Loyola Chicago down by one. You got, I want to say there was like two point one seconds left on the clock. Loyola Chicago's inbounding the ball from like their ba- like the baseline of the other side of the court. They literally just lobbed the ball cross court. I. Don't remember who it was that lobbed it across court to the other player, but the other player just like threw it up as a Hail Mary like shot to tie it. They were actually down by two. I'm sorry, down by two. 
This player just throws the ball up at the Hail Mary, falls backwards. As the buzzer sounding, the ball goes in. I thought I saw so many people jump up and down as I'm just watching this game. And it was awesome to watch that. Like, wow. That epitome of that was awesome. It was was a great Hail Christian Laner 2.0. I mean, it was truly an absurd because the way it happened, too, was so crazy. Like, Loyola had the game won, and then they completely choked it away. And, like, I almost turned off my TV because, like, well, this is over. And, like, they have to grant Hill Christian Leitner past this. And, like, they did it, and it worked. Like, absurd. And, like, the other thing, too, is, like, Fairly Dickinson is 355 in Ken Palm. And Loyola Chicago is 59. Like, Loyola loses this game, and we're all dunking on them and calling them, you know, Loichi and all the things that, you know, they they don't want to be known as per their university branding. But, you know, because they won, it's like, welcome to the h yeah, that's crazy. And, you know, for the just for the play-by-play there, that was Loyola Chicago calls a timeout one second left. Fairly Dickinson calls a timeout to ice them. And then it was a Tom Welch pass to Sheldon Edwards right at the buzzer to, to send that into overtime. And I got to say, you know, yes, Daniel, while I agree that, that this game, according to the net, would have probably killed Loyola Chicago – um, you know, not killed because it's just it's the first game of the season, but that it would have been a bad look. I have to say, I think this fairly Dickerson team in the NEC over the next couple of years is going to be a little crazy because I've watched their coach, Tobin Anderson, while he spent like uh looks like 10 seasons at St. Thomas Aquinas, which is a D2 school in the New York area. He at at, at that at that school put up a record of 209 and 62. So that guy moved up to D1 for a reason. I was talking to people who really were trying to, you know, campaign for him to actually try and get the, get an interview for the Fordham head coach spot. You know, I don't think he got close to it, but people were, people were throwing his name out there to me, like on Twitter, you know, in the, in the ether, like check this guy out, check this guy out. I did. He's legit, and I think it's going to be. I, I think that'll be a really interesting team over the next couple of years. No, Neptune has a good history. They've been in the NCAA tournament recently. Like, yeah. yeah. And the NEC is a weird conference. So, like, oh, it's, it's like, whack. Especially now that Bryant's gone, because I don't know if you saw that, but Bryant yeah. moved up to the America East this year. Yeah. Um, so I they, don't even they, know if they, it's up. It's like a lateral move. Like, it's. I mean, they, like, they move somewhere. <laughs> Yeah, the NEC also just added to the Stonehill Skyhawks, which is based here in Massachusetts. So adding a D2 team in, um, that one should be interesting. I know Fordham does play them in the near future. I don't know when, but I do know Fordham men's does play them in the near future. Yeah, they'll be playing them the week, uh, like in the couple days leading up to Thanksgiving in an MTE that Fordham is hosting, known as the Tom Konchalski Classic. And that's going to be uh, all at Rose Hill Gym, and they're they're going to be playing Stonehill College, uh, UIC, which is Illinois Chicago, and uh, Holy Cross, which is I think is really fun because that's Fordham's traditional football rival that they never play anymore because they're not in the Patriot League for basketball anymore. So a lot of fun stuff. That's you know more than a week and a half away. Yeah. But let's talk about a really good weekend slate that we've got on the men's and women's side. Of the A-10. So let's just all go around and, and give one or two of our favorite games. Starting with you, Kaylee. Anything that anything that you're going to be watching, you know, in between, you know, working with the men's team at WNEU? I've been, like, debating on some of these. There's so many good games happening tomorrow night already, like, just alone for the men's side. We got St. Joe's against Houston. Um, 
Duquesne versus Kentucky State and versus SMU and Arkansas versus Fordham. All four of those games are like looking to be really good games. I will probably be like pushing back and forth between all of those games if I'm not busy with something on campus and I do have practice tomorrow I have to work at. So I don't know if I'll get out early or if it's going to be a half hour late before I get out of practice. Um, so I would say those four games right there are going to be the games I would be looking at for the weekend for the men's side and women's. Um, it looks like it's more of a quieter slate. I would say maybe Rhode Island Dartmouth is probably like a game I would be looking at. Maybe even um, yeah, the um, weekend slate for the women's actually got a couple of really good ones. If yeah. I could jump in here, yeah. Davidson is hosting Duke on Saturday, um, which is a big deal because Duke yeah. Duke does not go on the road super often, as we know. Um, and the other one on Sunday, which um, it's a little hard to judge, I think, how good Richmond is to this point because Richmond has looked explosive in their two games this year. And admittedly, you know, they were wins over Liberty and Mount St. Mary. So it's it's a little difficult to kind of get a feel for them. But Richmond is going on the road to Clemson on Sunday, um, 2 o'clock, which I think will tell us a bit more about how Richmond's doing and, and whether it's kind of window dressing or whether they're actually, you know, a team that's kind of catching everyone by surprise, but that's um, plus for- Fordham is going on the road to Maryland. Now Fordham's had a weird off season, as we all know, um, and look dynamite tonight against St. Peter's um, and Maryland co- will be coming off either a big win or a big loss to South Carolina. So um, interesting one to keep your eye on Sunday as well. Got your yeah. Uh, there, speaking of uh, speaking of explosiveness, Asia Dingle I think set a record for steals against St. Peter's tonight. They beat they beat St. Peter's in the Rose Hill Gym, eighty one to thirty nine. That's absurd. And, oh. Yeah, and Asia Dingle put up a double double, nineteen points, ten steals. So that's yeah. That, I was looking at some highlights there, and that was that was some pretty crazy stuff. Oh, before I forget, I got to give a shout out. If we're talking about records being broken tonight, uh, Maya Tylo for GW um, collected a 500th career rebound. So I got to give a quick shout out to her because um, she's, awesome. she's electric on the glass. So there yeah, you go. That's... Records being broken left and right tonight. Yeah. Good stuff in the A10 this year and especially this weekend. Like you mentioned, Kaylee, on the men's side, A10 teams are, there are three games in which an A-10 team is playing a top 10 in the country opponent this weekend. Like you mentioned, that was Fordham against Arkansas, number 10, Duquesne against Fort Kentucky. Which we got and, our boy Dan will be at. A-10 yeah. talk in the building. Yeah. And and number three, Houston, playing St. Joe's in Alumni Hall. Daniel, I know, you're a, I know you're a Navy fan. How did, how did, how did that work out? Is that so the MTE? Veterans Classic, it's Veterans Classic. So it's a, it's a little MTE thing that's been going on for probably about a decade now where Navy hosts three, supposed to be three ma- high majors or mid-major schools. Um, that they come to, they come, they spend a day, actually they spend two days walking around the Naval Academy. They get to tour the Naval Academy. Obviously it's around Veterans Day. And then it's a doubleheader of games at Navy's arena. So Navy usually gets a big game. Um, this year it's Princeton, which is not as sexy of a name as it's been in the past. But in years past, I think it's been like Michigan State has come in and played. I think Villanova might have been there one year. Um, Houston, I think this is our second or third time. VCU was actually in a couple of years ago too. So it's a it's a pretty good doubleheader of games. Um, 
and obviously, you know, great cause being at the Naval Academy on Veterans Day is a great thing. So, yeah. Today. How have we never gotten Navy on an aircraft carrier? What's up I, with that? I know. <laughs> I'm super hyped for that one. game tomorrow. I'm not going to lie. And also, Wisconsin's playing at a baseball stadium tomorrow. <laughs> what? Wisconsin men and women are having a doubleheader at American Family Field, home of the, 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 what are they, the Twins, the Minnesota Twins? They're yeah. playing. The women are playing K-State, and the men are playing, I forget who the men are playing. The, they're calling it, like, Battle at the the Brew or something. Battle of the Brew, something like that. I don't know. It's, oh, oh, at the Brewers are in, in Milwaukee. No, 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 no. They're playing at the Twins Stadium. Yeah, yeah, the Brewer, no, the Brewers Stadium, American Family Field in Milwaukee. Yeah, that one. Brewers. Wisconsin. I have a, yeah, I'm yeah. a basketball player. I don't watch baseball. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> Sports at weird locations. Playing, I love it. Wisconsin playing Stanford in that. That's what it is. And yeah, Wisconsin the better playing play, Kansas State. Yeah. And Wisconsin plays Dayton in a few weeks, too, so that should be a good one to watch if you want to watch a non-conference one to get eyes on a team playing another A-10 team later on in the season. College basketball's getting weird. I love it. I love it. And hopefully we'll keep getting weird on this on the A10 Talk podcast. <laughs> but I think that's where we'll, we'll 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 close it off tonight. So make sure you check out that great weekend slate that we just laid out for you, both in the A10 and if you want to watch games and aircraft carriers, baseball stadiums, who knows who knows where else. So for Daniel Frank, Kelly Godek, I'm Sam Basil, and we'll see you guys next time.